Uh, some of you are well aware of what that uh, feels like. I want to encourage you not to give up and uh, pitch your book in the water like I did, but uh, to keep fighting. That's sort of the premise of this series, that there's a lot of noise, a lot of distractions out there. We have to uh, be very intentional, or we end up knowing a little bit about the stock market in China and shootings in Oregon and the Kardashians and the weather in Texas and all kinds of things, but we don't know our neighbors and we don't know the state of our own soul. And uh, so we have to be proactive. We have to fight for this stuff. We have to make the pursuit of God a, uh, a, a diligent endeavor that we are worth, uh, that we are willing to go after. So, um, that's deep. This is the fourth week. Week one, I sort of set some of that stuff out in front of you. And I additionally, uh, I said, God is for you. God is not distant. He's, he's, not, he's not distracted. And he's looking for, for us to lean into him. And then in week two, I said, we need wisdom uh, for this life to work, for us to have depth and wisdom. Big theme in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is godly character in action. And then uh, last week it was on uh, discipline. And I said, this is where our lives often break down. We know a lot more than we do. And so uh, we, have to, we have to be willing to, to, to lean into discipline. We have to embrace it. It's a multiplier. It will, it will, it will dramatically accelerate our, our effectiveness. But it is costly. It's hard at first. It requires that we pay in advance. It's painful, right? We are, we are suffering now for a future benefit, willingly doing that. And so I, I said, let's use what little willpower we actually have. Our wills are pretty weak. They can easily be spent. Let's use what little willpower we have to build the kind of habits that will take us forward. And so I then said, the habits that we're after are the habits we find in the life of Christ. Habits like prayer and solitude and fasting and and some of these things. So, uh, we now uh, are on a topic called insight. And the question is, how do we actually lean into God? What does that look like? What does that feel like for us to, to draw into his presence and to be shaped by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God? And how do we, how do we experience that? So, uh, I want to start by uh, directing you to Psalm 1. So the book of Psalms is uh, the prayer book of the Bible, and uh, there's a bunch of Psalms, a bunch of prayers collected here for us. Interestingly, Psalm 1 is not a prayer. It's a meditation uh, on meditation. And uh, there's, it's almost as if uh, we're being coached that we can't just rush into the kind of communion with God that we're after. We, we, need, to, uh, we need to sort of amp down, we need to focus our thoughts, we need to be still and get into that place. So, um, blessed are those, verse 1, blessed are those who do not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So remember, mocker, uh, a scorner, this is one of the four people that we saw in the book of Proverbs. There was the simple and naive, there was the fool, there was the professional fool, somebody who's hardened in being a fool and wants other people to follow them in foolishness. We call this the mocker. And then there was also the wise. So what we're being told here in verse 1 is that life works better if we avoid trouble and troublemakers. But here's the deal. 
right? We sort of like a little bit of trouble. We're attracted to a little bit of foolishness, right? Wickedness has, a, has an appealing aspect to it. It feels daring and sexy and naughty and, and intriguing. And, and so uh, because we are broken, we tend to pay more attention to that than we should. Now, let me just remind you this uh, famous quote by uh, the French philosopher Simone Weil. And I think she just nails it. She says, imaginary evil is, uh, is daring and exciting and intriguing and intoxicating. She goes, real evil is boring. It's monotonous. It's barren. It's lifeless. Imaginary good is dull. Real good is amazingly new and refreshing and bold and exciting and intoxicating. So we, we have to start with an understanding that uh, if we go the direction that our bent heart might want us to go, life is not going to work so well. If we uh, avoid this, so blessed are those who do not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who instead delight in the law of the Lord, which is sort of shorthand for the Bible, law of the Lord technically, specifically would refer to the first five books of the Bible. This is in the Jewish nomenclature, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the books written by Moses. But it's also shorthand for the book, just the Bible. So if we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night, then things begin to work. So Meditation um, means literally to ponder, to ruminate. Uh, the, the word in Hebrew, Hagah, means uh, to murmur or moan. Or it can, it can also refer to a cow that is chewing its cud, right? Just sort of regurgitating and just pondering and, and redigesting. So the murmur, the moan, the repetition, you get the idea of like memorizing something or just repeating it and focusing on it. So I feel like I've got to say a few things about meditation because uh, a lot of you are scared of the word. When you hear meditation, you think Eastern, not Christian. And um, you picture some, you know, somebody in Lululemon outfit uh, doing the downward dog and, and contemplating their navel and trying to empty their mind or somebody sitting in a lotus position and, they're, and they're, they're pondering one hand clapping or something. You know. Now, in all fairness, that's not a very accurate uh, representation of Eastern meditation. But um, my point is, don't think Hindu, think Hebrew. Okay. There's Christian meditation. It is a necessary, vital part of the life of a Christ follower. We are commanded to meditate. And as opposed to emptying our mind by thinking about nothing, trying to still all thoughts, what we're trying to do in meditation is to focus our thoughts. We're, we're trying to, to narrow down our thoughts, to close out distractions so that we can, we can truly think about God or some aspect of his, of, his, of his qualities, of his holiness or his goodness or his beauty, or we're thinking about truth or we're thinking about scripture, and we're trying to, we're trying to narrow our thoughts and focus our attention. And you need to understand, this ability to do this is at risk today. 
because um, we tend not to operate on that end of the spectrum. I, let's pull that spectrum up. So I, I just made this up. At, at one end, we have um, at one end we have sleep, and at the other end we have meditation. And uh, so this end is this is this is passive thinking, right? It's just uh, it's just random. And then at the other end we have very focused thinking, active thinking. In the middle, I have. Uh, critical thinking, and then uh, to the left I have amusement. And literally, right, the, the word amusement means to not think. So to muse is to think. You add the alpha in front of it, it negates it. So a theist believes in God, an atheist does not believe in God. The alpha negates the word. So amusement is to not think. And what happens for a lot of people today is your thoughts are jumbled and life is full of lots of distractions and there's all kinds of things going on. And so you get tired and you go, I need a break. I'm going to watch TV, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to veg out. I'm going to zone out. Oh, look, I watch TV. I'm not down. I'm not saying never watch TV. But understand, some of you have not made it to the right side of this equation in a long time. Right? And, and you gotta fight through. You gotta organize your thinking. But there's life at that end. Right? There's a sense of, of restoration and a sense of order and clarity that comes when we fight to get to that spot. And so we are being instructed by scripture to meditate. And as a matter of fact, what this psalm says is that if we meditate, there are benefits that come our way. First of all, we get stability. If we meditate, we're like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So there's a sense of being rooted, of having a, having a stability about our life, because we're not being tossed about hither and yon. Additionally, there's value to our life. We're not like the wicked who are like chaff. Chaff is the the husk of the kernel of the grain. It's worth nothing. It's got to be thrown away. Or like straw, um, little pieces of straw. There's no value to that. We're being said, no, we're not going to be like that. In fact, we're going to be blessed. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked will be destroyed. So, in this first psalm, we're encouraged uh, to meditate. And I, I want to I leap from there to talk about this idea of, of experiencing God, of gaining insights into who we are, who God is, how life works, that, that comes our way, that is available to us, and that is necessary for us if we're going to be people of depth. So I want to make up, I've got a handful of insights about insight to share with you today. Number one, um, our quest for spiritual insight starts and ends with Scripture. So our quest for this kind of insight, it begins and it ends with Scripture. So let me just say, the good news here is that God has revealed himself. Um, he's not distant, he's not silent, he's revealed himself, and he does this in two ways. Theologians refer to general revelation and special revelation, sometimes called natural revelation. There are things that we can know about God because of what he created. You can know certain things about the creator by looking at creation. Paul talks about this in Romans 1, uh, verse 18 to 20. And then there's There's beyond natural ways that God reveals himself. 
supra or supernatural ways that God reveals himself to us. And, and this way principally is through Jesus. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 1.1 talks about, right, Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's the, he's the radiance of God's glory. So you want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus to figure out what, what God the Father looks like. So Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, and he is the highest of God's supernatural revelation. We also have, in addition to the Word of God incarnate, we have the Word of God written. And we understand that this book is, is co-authored by human authors, but also it's divine, it's inspired. And so we read this book, we study this book, we, we ponder this book in order to have insight into God and into ourselves. As a matter of fact, I've, I've frequently said, when I'm reading this book, I often discover, much to my uh, chagrin, that it's actually reading me, right? That it, that, that it is. There's a sense in which it is, as it claims, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, a both joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what, we're, what we claim, what we understand to be true about this book is that it is, it is in essence, the, um, it, it's the, the, the final authority. As a Christ follower, we understand that there are four sources of authority or four ways we know what we know. You believe what you believe on the basis of reason or on the basis of tradition, somebody you trust has passed down information that you trust, or on the basis of our own experience, some sense of internal confirmation, or on the basis of revelation. We believe that, that God has revealed some truth. And so we understand this book to be divinely inspired revelation from God. And while we also acknowledge all four sources of authority are true, and when we can't get them to work out, we should pause and sort of humbly continue to look and to learn because in the end they're all going to mesh. All truth is God's truth. While, while we're humble in that way, there's also a sense in which this is the final authority for us in terms of the biggest questions out there. This is the book that's answering those for us. So, point number one, on this spiritual quest that we're on, this, this search for insight into what really matters, a search to, to, to know the truths about God and ourselves and, and life that allow us to go deep, right? Our quest starts and it stops with this book, which means, number two, that we need to make time for this book. Okay? We need to be uh, students of this book. Um, we are responsible for putting this book into our head and indeed, beyond that, into our heart. So in a, as loving a manner as I can um, say this, let me just note that if the only time you are in this book is when you show up at church for a weekend service, then I'm not confident you're going to make it. Because, as I've said, is sort of the premise for this whole series, the 
the, the current is getting stronger. And while there's aspects of culture that are good and positive and that we can celebrate, there's aspects of the culture that are just uh, amoral or immoral. And it's got its own agenda, and it's headed in a particular pathway. And if we're not grounded, if you're not, if you're not occasionally digging into this book on your own, then as opposed to being that Psalm 1 tree that's planted by a stream that is always going to be vibrant and moving forward, you're going to be like a piece of driftwood that is just getting carried by whatever is going on, by a culture that is fast and loud. And that's not what you want. So part of what we've done in this series is we've, we've set aside some specific times to dig deeper. So coming up next weekend, uh, we have one of those where where I'm just going to share at this campus Sunday night, uh, campus pastors at the other uh, two sites, Garth at Crossroads and, and Dan at Highland Park, going to share how to spend time with God every day or nearly every day, uh, how to draw into his presence. So we need that in order to grow. Point number three, we gain spiritual insight in ways other than the Bible. There are opportunities for us to be shaped and molded and formed by the Spirit of God. And I I would especially point us in times like times of prayer can can be transformative for us. So let me note, um, perhaps you have noticed, I hope that you have noticed, that over time, your prayers have changed. Before I became a Christ follower, and for a while after I became a Christ follower, I talked at God. Okay? So I offered him some pointers about what he ought to be doing. And in particular about things that I needed if he was on top of things. And, uh, and I, I tried to cut some deals, right? And I bargained. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, vocalize to myself that God was a means to an end, that, that God was a genie and I was trying to get my three wishes, but, but there's a sense in which that's sort of what I was doing, okay? Then, then there was a, a time where it, it sort of changed, and as opposed to talking at God, there was more listening, uh, and, and a lot of the listening comes through sort of prayerfully studying and reflecting on Scripture. Although sometimes it's just a matter of sitting still and being quiet and, and allowing, uh, allowing our, our, my, my mind to try and be a little bit more shaped and guided by the Spirit of God. And then there's a third space uh, to move into. And, and maybe there's a fourth space. But there's a third space uh, to move into. And that, that is where the goal is just to sort of be with God. Uh, he's not a means to an end. Right? He's God. And he's big and holy and grace-filled and, and majestic and transcendent and inspiring. And to sort of draw into his presence is to be is to be reshaped it's it's to get a different picture on who I am and on what's going on it's to be transformed in some way and and, and the goal is not even that the goal is not to get things done 
the goal is just to be with God and to, and, and to, to allow the Spirit of God and, and the Word of God and, and the time with God to just sort of shape and, you could say, speak and shape uh, me. Now, let me go offline here for a second. Um, when you start to talk about right, being shaped by God, hearing God, this gets pretty mysterious pretty quickly. And it can, it can be a little confusing. And in fact, nerve-wracking for some. So um, I'm aware of that. Um, again, the confusing part, uh, there's a famous interview that took place 15, 20 years ago. Dan Rather was still the, uh, the anchor for CBS News, and he was interviewing um, on live TV. He was interviewing Mother Teresa, and he asked Mother Teresa, uh, when you pray, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa said, uh, I, don't, I don't say anything. I just listen. And he said, oh, okay. Well, when uh, you listen to God, what does he say? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And uh, there was silence for about 15 seconds, and then she said, I don't think you're going to get it. (laughs) Um, So this space gets to be a little bit... uh, let me just say, it gets to be a little bit mysterious. And I, I want to I allow a little bit of that mystery. Now, let me say, um, I get nervous in this space because uh, people come forward and they say things like, God spoke to me and he said this. Or, I have a word from God for you, God said this. So when I hear that, I always bristle just a little bit because, first of all, it's a, it's a it can, it can be a power play, right? Okay, if God spoke to you, then I really don't have many options here. Uh, short of calling you a liar, I'm sort of honor-bound to do whatever it is you're about to say, and I'm not very inclined to do that. Secondly, um, sometimes people say things like, God said X, and I think, no, he didn't, because in Scripture, he says the opposite. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, again, we start and we stop with Scripture. And, and we just have to, we, we have to understand the clarity that comes uh, through those guardrails. Now, that said, um, again, this, this, is, this, this stuff tends to make people nervous. Bill Hybels wrote a book that I read this summer in preparation for this series called uh, The Power of Whisper, Learning to Hear from God and Having the Guts to Respond. And in the preface of the book, he said, uh, I have not written this book for 30 years. Because every time I share about learning to hear from God, before I'm even off the platform, I have people come up to me and say, you realize that you sound like an axe murderer, right? That, that's what axe murderers say. God spoke to me and told me to do this. And, uh, and, and he goes, everybody gets really, really nervous. So... Again, point number one, we start and we stop with Scripture. Um, But when you hear from God, right, if you have heard from God, if you've been prompted by God, if you've been shaped by God, you don't want to deny that. Uh, I am here. I've shared this before, but I'm here uh, because I believe very specifically and powerfully that God told me to come here. 
Uh, I was a consultant on the West Coast. I loved my life. Uh, I had been a college pastor. I was eight years into a consulting practice. I had... uh, I, I had weekends off. I was making a lot of money. Half my clients were ministries. Half my clients were businesses. I'd hired a number of my friends. we just bought an office building. It was great. I had no intention of going back on staff at a church. And um, I was doing some consulting, pro bono consulting for Christ Church. Uh, I knew some people here, the mission group I was working with. They were looking for somebody to hire. I thought I knew somebody that would be perfect for that spot. So I got involved. I called on a Monday morning because there was a candidating weekend for this person to come in. So I called on Monday morning to follow up. How did the candidating weekend go? And uh, the person who answered the phone said, yeah, it did not go well. Uh, I go, huh, I was positive that was the right person for this job. I said, well, what are you going to do now? And she said, we're just going to wait for you to take the job. And in that moment, like not in the next minute, but in that moment, it was, there, was a, there was a clear sense that this was God's call. And I was not happy about this call, right? I was not like, oh, this is great. It was like, no, no, I don't want to do this. And uh, I just bought an office building. And, and I just had a friend quit their job to come work for me. And this is, this is not good. But it was, a clear, it, was, it was as clear a sense of God speaking to me. I don't hear, didn't hear anything you know, audibly. But it was a clear sense of God speaking. Unlike anything else I could point to. And it was confirmed later, by, later that day by Sherry in a very interesting way. And then... Uh, we went to our small group. Even though I was quite confident that this was from God, right, we went to our small group and we said, okay, here's where we're at. This is what we think is going on. Pray with us and help guide us. And, uh, and you know, they, they sort of confirmed it. And so we, we came out here. So I want to leave space for some of this stuff to be a little bit mysterious. And um, I want us to watch this video. This is um, somebody else telling their story. My name is Lachelle Koala, and I've been attending Christ Church since 2002 and became a member in 2004. I don't think I knew what an all-in Christian was. It wasn't, it wasn't a thought process back then. It was just more, how could I be, what could I do for Christ? How could I be there for Christ? It wasn't Christ in me. It was just Christ around me. I was busy doing. Um, I would serve as an usher, I would serve as a greeter, I served as a deacon. So they put me on the prayer team and I had no clue why, except for that I was a deacon. And so, I mean, it's not like I had a prayerful background, it's not like I was doing anything relative to prayer, except for I'd gone to the church for 12 years and I was a deacon and they said, Lachelle, we want you on this prayer team. And when I got on that prayer team, is real when I started partially kind of realizing part of the whole story, I was still missing something, even though I was on my own track. And what happened was, is the prayer team wanted to stay together. I'm like, why do you people want me on this team? I mean, I literally said that. Because I don't feel comfortable here. I don't, under, I don't experience what you're experiencing. And I'm not sure why I'm here. So it's, this is when I, I, we went on spring break, because the event happened right before spring break. And that's, I sat in, I sat in the Gulf 
of Mexico and said to God, um, I said to him, if you, so I've been down to Florida for 10 years, right? And every year I wanted this thing called a shark bite belt and I'd never found one. And so I said, God, if you give me a shark slice shell in this moment, I know you want me to stay on the team. But if you don't, I'm all done. And I have the shell upstairs. I scooped twice in the ocean, and he gave me a shark slice shell. And it was kind of scary for me because I knew it was going to be transformation just from that experience. And it was. I never knew what the Holy Spirit felt like in my heart. I didn't know what that feeling was. I heard other people talk about it. But I didn't I didn't know what it felt like. I didn't have that whoosh. Um, but when it when it showed up, I knew it made it real for me. It told me that he he is there and he is waiting for me to find him at a different level. And once that occurred, again, it changed everything. I wanted to know him better. I wanted to be open to him. I wanted to feel his Holy Spirit. And it's just been an amazing journey. Okay, so let me just take us back to 30,000 feet. We're talking about how to experience God, about, about going deep, about having some sense of resonance with him. And I said, this whole thing starts and stops. It's guided by uh, by Scripture. Secondly, that we need to make time uh, for the Bible. Third, that prayer is one of the other fundamental ways that we may be uh, malleable to the Spirit of God shaping and moving us. So the fourth point that I want to make here is that uh, we, need, uh, we need to make time to hear God. So um, in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a, a Elijah's just Battle the prophets of Baal, then, then stumbled, he runs away, he gets scared of uh, Jezebel, he's in a bad spot, and uh, God shows up. And, uh, and it's just a famous sort of cadence that God was not in the thunder, and God is not in the lightning, and then God was not in the, God was not in the fire, and all these things are sort of manifesting themselves. And then, uh, then there's this line that God was in the whisper. And uh, that he finally, he hears God, and he goes to hear God's counsel to him. And, and I just want to say, um, you know, that we hear about God's still, small voice. And I, wanna, I just want to su- suggest that perhaps you're living a life that doesn't allow you to hear a still, small voice, right? There's no, there's no real, clear opportunities where God would have your attention. And so I want to I challenge you very specifically with this idea of a technology fast. And uh, a fast is just where we give up something that's good, it's fine, it's, it's legitimate. We set it aside for some period of time in order to focus on or to feast on God. Fasts generally are around food, but they can be around other things. And so I'm suggesting some sort of technology or media fast, right, where you set aside... Um, emails or Facebook or the internet or your iPhone or TV or the radio in the car or the iPod. I don't know. Look, I know some of you are thinking, oh, give me a break. I don't know what kind of monastery you live in, but in my world, I've got to be on email every day. I got a job. I can't just turn this thing off. Or 
Some of you moms are saying, I've got kids, and they've got to be able to get a hold of me if they need to call. I can't just set aside my phone. Fine. And I know some of you are also saying, I'm watching the Cubs game this Wednesday. I've waited 100 years for this. So I'm fine, fine, fine. I'm not going to fight you over any of this. I'm just suggesting that there may be ways for you to turn this down a little bit and to step back from the ongoing diet that just that, you know, hey, the average TV, there's more TVs in most houses than there are people. And the average TV is on for eight hours and 14 minutes a day. I'm just saying, you know, walk away from this stuff for a while, for a season. And, and here's what, my, what I expect. This will not be fun. And you are going to discover that you are agitated and that you really have got some dependence, perhaps even in an addiction for some of this stuff. And that it's going to be hard for you to let your heart and your mind slow down. And, but that's all the more reason that, you, that we have to do this from time to time. So, so that we make space for God to speak to us. And so uh, I'm going to suggest that there be, a, there be a tech fast. You can start when you want. We put in, the, in our literature that it goes from tomorrow through Friday. Start when you want to start, end when you want to end. Do this whatever you want to do. I'm just inviting you. I'm encouraging you proactively to turn some of this stuff off. And not simply to do more of the other stuff that you normally do, right? But to go for a walk or to write in a journal or to spend that time in prayer or to spend that time in silence and solitude, doing nothing, right? And again, I think what you're going to find, and I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a minute as we go into communion, I think what you're going to find is when you really start to pay attention to your thoughts, they're like popcorn kernels, right, that are just going a thousand different directions. And to really slow down your thoughts and to focus them it may not be a skill that you have got uh, at this point, and so you're going to have to develop it. So there's plenty more that can be said on this. I just want to end by uh, saying one of the other ways that we can experience God come into his presence is uh, through the sacraments. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not Roman Catholic, so I don't come at this. Later in, in the Luke series, I'm going to do a whole series, a little mini-series on the sacraments. Because um, I probably think they're more sacred than some of you. Uh, I'm not, I don't believe in, in transubstantiation, that the, that the literal uh, presence of Christ is there uh, as, as would be affirmed. But I think that there is an opportunity for us to meet with God in a powerful, sacred way when we come into some of these things. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and, and, and then I'm going to give you some time to reflect, to meditate on some aspect of, of God's love for you or Christ's sacrifice on the cross for you, the grace of God, and to just try and slow your mind and to prepare your heart to come to communion. So let me, let me pray uh, to, to close the sermon. Heavenly Father, um, we are alive at an interesting time, and many of us are just outlandishly blessed with so many different um, blessings and freedoms and privileges, and we thank you for all of that. We want to be good stewards of our lives and all that's out there, and we realize that there's a lot of second best things that compete for our time and attention. And we want to 
be mindfully drawing into your presence and to be communing with you and to move our prayers past at and even listening to just being with you. We, wanna, we want to move in that direction. So uh, guide us to that end. We pray, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.